Sometimes it feels like I'm watching from the outside. Sometimes it feels like I'm breathing. But am I alive? I won't keep searching for answers that aren't here to find. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I. Welcome, everyone, to The Portico of Solomon. Got a really, really good episode we're going to dig into now. I've got my brothers, the Millers, on with me, Matthew Miller and his son Aaron. And just uh, bringing Aaron on alone, we know we're going to have some groundbreaking stuff that we cover here. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear what he has to share. But we're going to dig into Genesis 14, and of course, that's always just the starting point. We're going to start there, and we're going to attempt to lift the veil of the Sedim. That's the riddle that Aaron has been digging into. So, Matthew and Aaron, thank you for joining. Um, please say hello. Hey. hey. Hey, guys. It's good to be with you again. Uh, this episode actually stems uh, 
Aaron and I was going to co-host the Iron Show because Rabbi Bugsy was uh, moving. Uh, but that kind of didn't happen because Johnny wasn't feeling too well. So this extenuates uh, this situation uh, is all tied together. And you're going to learn some things that is probably going to make you at first frustrated and then upset because it's always been in the Bible source code. It was always there uh, for you to see and for you to find if you just looked. And that's the one thing I want to stress here today is that what God was trying to show you, you're not going to see it in English. You're just not. But it's extremely important. It's vitally important that we understand the circumstances of incursion. Let me explain that just for a second. When the angelic host, when they come down Jacob's ladder, when they do what the New Testament says and they clothe themselves in strange flesh, there in those verses it says something very interesting. It tells you about the second incursion, how they pulled it off without total destruction again. It says they did not defend themselves. They did not protect themselves. And this is perfectly exemplified by what happened when the two angels went down to get Lot and his family. Of course, the Bible says that not just the men and the women showed up. It says even the children, all the occupants of the town showed up and tried to rape those angels. And you're about to learn why. In this study right here, you're going to actually find out Everything and all the answers to your questions. From the Old Testament straight to the New Testament. When my son first got into this, he didn't understand why when he was looking in the Greco Bible source code in the New Testament, it was saying demon or uh, demonac, of course. And when he switched over to the Hebrew... It took him a few minutes to figure out what was going on because he couldn't seem to find the word in Hebrew. kind of didn't make any sense. But what it did say rattled his cage. And then all of a sudden, we read Genesis 14. And I had to ask him several times. Here, let's ask him right now. Aaron, when I was laying on my bed and I had you get the Geneva Bible and read... Genesis chapter 14. What question did I keep asking you and you couldn't seem to answer for me, buddy? Oh, why... Why the five kings that uh, opposed the four did not... uh, did not attack them for rebelling. They instead attacked the cities of the giants. Now, looking back on it, son, I, I really do want you to reflect. You know... Aaron, you're 14 years old, but you've been studying the Bible your whole life, correct? Yep. Why couldn't you see it, son? I only had an idea. I thought that maybe they had, they did have something, these giants did have something to do with the four, with the five, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> and they did indeed, did they not? Yep. Well, <clears throat> Jose, let's uh, get some comments from you about um, Genesis chapter 14 because I've never heard it discussed now I, I could be incorrect because you know me Jose I spend most of my time in the Bible I really don't care what anybody has to say about the Bible um, I hope that they know what I know about the Bible but I really don't 
really don't care to read these commentaries and these flights of fancies and all that stuff. So, uh, have you ever heard any uh, prophetical information coming out of Genesis chapter 14? No, nothing near what what we're going to get into here, Matthew. Nothing near. I mean, when I started reading this chapter last night, of course, the first thing that strikes you here is you have four kings, and that should bring to mind the four horns, and you know what they're going to do prophetically. And this is just the first time around the ride that we get to see what's going to transpire. And so, as I continued reading, I began to realize that these four horns, Matthew, they were some bad dudes. They were going in to take out the Rephaim, the Zuzim, and the Emmy. And as Aaron just said, the Septuagint tells us that those are the giants. You you read you read about them in the Septuagint, and it comes out clearly and tells you who, who these uh, cities are that they were attacking, who was there. So, you can see right away that these four kings are cleaning house. That's um, right much in the same way that David and his mighty men cleaned out the land of, of whatever remaining giants were there. That's right. Uh, so that's, that's exactly right. That's that's the first thing that struck me. And of course, we all know what transpired in Sodom and Gomorrah, what was going on there. So that's that may be a, a, a better clue into exactly what this rebellion was and why they were going in there to, to take care of business. That's right. And Aaron, <clears throat> you and I did... Uh, a video on Profetico.net and we showed and explained to the entire world how they had been lied to. Aaron, what was Nimrod? Can you tell me? He was a giant hunter. That's right. Now, does that mean he was a Nephilim? No. What does it mean, son? Well, well, it did explain that he was a giant, but it didn't didn't say that he was uh, a Nephilim either. That's right. Because and in fact, it said it said that he was a hunter, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Right. So, right there in the Septuagint, when you look at it, ladies and gentlemen, it says he hunted giants. That's what it says. That's what it always said. Now, Aaron, where did these four kings come from? Um, these four kings, uh, they um, they came. Um, some of them came from Mesopotamia and Bingo. The other others came from the cities of the plain. That's right. So, ladies and gentlemen, before we read this, let me rattle your cage. There's a reason why you're told where Nimrod went, what he did, and more importantly, the cities that he started. But they're going to lie to you, and just like Aaron said, they're going to call them the Mesopotamian kings. I have been teaching you for five years. Don't call it that. Call it the land in the midst of the rivers. That's where these four kings came from. And they came and they targeted who they should not have targeted. Doesn't make any sense. So I told Aaron, do an outline. I want an outline. And as soon as he did an outline, then it hit him. Once I had him make the list, well, Aaron, that's not what happened. It's not what the Bible says. Why are the giants even mentioned? They shouldn't be there. For they had nothing to do with the oak, the pillar, or the covenant. They had nothing to do with it. Or did they? So, Jose, let's go ahead and read 
Genesis chapter 14. And ladies and gentlemen, you need to listen very intently to exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. Now, I know most of you have probably went and looked up, uh, why is this battle even important? Why is the battle of the nine kings so important that it has its own historical paperwork to accompany it? Why is it you can go to historical websites and find references to this battle? Why? More importantly, why enter in the king of Salem? Why? He's got nothing to do with this, does he? Oh, maybe he does indeed. So, Jose, why don't we go ahead and take a read of it, or would you rather Aaron read it? doesn't really matter to me. Nope, I can read it, and then that'll let Aaron uh, prep his notes here. Genesis chapter 14. And in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Kedolarmer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of the nations. These men made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these joined together in the valley of Sidim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years were they subject to Kerlaomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Kerlaomer and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaims in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Emims in Shaba Kiriathim, and the Horites in their Mount Seir, unto the plain of Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwelled in Hazazon Tamar. Then went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the valley of Sidim, to wit, with Kedarlarmer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and the residue fled to the mountain. Then they took all the substance of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their victuals, and went their way. They took Lot, also Abram's brother, son, and his substance, for he dwelt at Sodom. And departed. Then came one that had escaped, that told Abram the Hebrew, which dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Honor, which were confederate with Abram. When Abram heard that his brother was taken, he brought forth of them that were born and brought up in his house, three hundred and eighteen, and pursued them unto Dan. Then he and his servants decided themselves against them by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left side of Damascus. And he recovered all the substance, and also brought against his brother Lot and his brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also and the people. After that he returned from the slaughter of Kedrolarmer and of the kings that were with him. Came the king of Sodom forth to meet him in the valley of Shavah, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Shalem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. 
Therefore he blessed him, saying, Blessed art thou, Abram, of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the most high God, which has delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And Abram gave him tithe of all. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take of all that is thine, so much as a thread or a shoe latchet, lest thou say, I have made Abraham rich, save only that which the young men had eaten, and the parts of the men which went with me, Anner, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them take their parts. Whenever you first hear this, ladies and gentlemen, it actually explains everything to you in great detail. In great detail. It tells you really everything you need to know. And the Bible is always like that. It'll just come right out and tell you and leave you there to stand where you're at. It'll give you the information and you just have to deal with it. You have to deal with what he just said. Now, militarily speaking, we are talking about none other than covenants here. Allegiances and alliances. Axis and allies. That's what we're talking about here. Now, Aaron, we get the gist in the first opening verses here, don't we? That uh, a certain number of kings came into the vale of Sedim. And just take note, the only way you can get that is in the Geneva Bible. It comes out and says the veil. Most English translations don't. They want to hide that from you. Using a veil, of course. They want to put a veil over this entire chapter. But that's what we have, right? We have a military agreement. And that's why it comes out and says that the kings uh, there in the veil of Saddam. That's why things went south. But I heard something. I remembered something, Aaron. After how many years did the four kings rebel? After 12, 12 years, they served them. That's right. And on the 13th year, they rebelled. On the 14th year, they went after the giants. So did everybody catch what I just said? Aaron, after this, why are the next few verses there? Why did not those who were from the land of Nimrod, why did they not attack the four rebellious kings? Who did they attack instead? They attacked the giants. That's right. And Aaron, what do you know about 12 years of age, buddy? And the Bible? I mean, forget psychology, that doesn't matter. Forget, uh, you know, the physiology of the matter. What do we know about 12 years in the Bible? Well, let's just ask Jose. Jose, what do you know about 12 years? Why is that important? Once, once you pass those 12 years, you're held accountable for your, for your actions, for your sins. Those, before those 12 years, you have uh, some, some limit of mercy, and, I, and I, we went into that a little bit um, in, in one of our prophetical studies. That's right. We absolutely did. I'm sure everybody's scrambling for their notes, aren't they, Jose? Which one was it? Which one was it? <laughs> well, I am going to uh, get the iTunes feed ready for the Portico of Solomon yet again here this week. So look to your iTunes accounts uh, for uh, the Portico of Solomon. Um, Aaron? Why were these giants not mentioned before? Can you tell me that? Militarily speaking, why is this the first time we've heard of them? Well, um, in 12 years, 
maybe uh, during the first time that they made this uh, alliance with the four kings, they was the same time that the angels came down and yeah, um, the giants were born to them. On twelve uh, years of age, of course, they would start, you know, growing. Their they would their hormones would start being produced. That's right, Aaron. And I heard exactly what you just said. And I hope everybody understood what you just said. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not told about these tribes yet because they weren't of the age of accountability yet. You see, the four kings never wanted to be subjugated to those in the land of the midst of the river. So they created the special forces to engage them. That is why they waited 12 years. And in the 13th year, they thought their shock troops were ready. Now, you understand why all this seemed to get God's attention. Now you understand why just a few chapters later, God comes down and have a look-see what's going on. And now you understand why the inhabitants of those cities were so desperate to get their hands on the angels. Because they were hoping to replenish the troops. This time, they were going to make their own batch. You'll take note that the first time, okay, they created separate villages and placed them in between themselves and those in the land of the midst of the rivers. Your encyclopedia will tell you Mesopotamian kings, that's what they'll say. But these were put in between the four rebellious kings and the kings that they had made a covenant with. No way to overcome these mighty kings. No way to do it. And now you know why. Because they were started and they were most familiar and affiliated with their, well, how should I say it? Maybe I should just say it like the Bible does it. I'm just going to put it in your face. Nimrod was their patriarch. And he hunted giants. They knew exactly how to deal with the problem. And Aaron, you and I privately went into great discourse of how exactly you would have to go about bringing one of these beasts down, correct? Needless to say, it would not be easy, would it? Yep. So, ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand that until this time, they were most probably of normal stature. But as soon as they reached the age of accountability, as Aaron said, they would get a massive hormone dump. Now, you would think <clears throat> that uh, they would be wise enough to wait a few years and train them up. No, they were arrogant. They thought as soon as they were energized, they could defeat any troop. And that would have been true if Nimrod had not been their patriarch. So, when you look at this in the broadest sense, now you're able to understand why it is that somebody showed up that wasn't even supposed to be in the neighborhood. And why is Salem in this? I don't know. You don't know. You know what? It's amazing to me because nobody knows. They run around and have all kinds of wild fantasies about Melchizedek. But the one thing that it says about Melchizedek is the reason why I just explained to you everything I explained to you, ladies and gentlemen. Because it plainly says that he was unique due to his family history. And it's telling you that for a reason, because you're supposed to know why he showed up. He was very impressed, and he knew 
the only way to beat the kings from the land of the mist of the rivers, God had to have been with you. That's why he came and even paid tithe to Abram. Of course, we know why God came to Abram and changed his name. For it would be through him that the promise would be fulfilled. Don't you realize, ladies and gentlemen, everything that just came out of my mouth has everything to do with your family line, your family tree. It's got everything to do with it. And it's there encoded, bam, 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 right after another. And right here it lays it out just in its order, lets you know, wait a minute, why are those kings attacking the giants? They got nothing to do with it. Really? Oh yes, they did. But just take note that the four rebellious kings were wise enough not to do this in their own towns. They made these separate villages. So when the two angels showed up a few chapters later to go get Lot, they were desperate to replenish the troops to the point that they were going to do it in their own cities. God didn't think that was very funny, did he, Aaron? No. The Lord God of Heaven came down and had a look-see. You see, sometimes, Aaron, raising your hand does get Daddy's attention. Did you catch that? Yeah. Said that Abraham said with his own mouth, I raised my hand to the Lord my God. Now you know why the Lord came down and had a look-see. And he fixed the problem lickety-split, didn't he, Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> and he did a whole lot more than anybody assumes. Riddle me this, Aaron. What does the Septuagint say about the veil of Sedim? What does it say about these valley, this, this valley here? What does it say happened? Well, in, in, the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew uh, translation... It, it says, all these came as allies to the Valley of Sedim. And in parentheses it says, that is, the Salt Sea. In, but in Greek it says, it calls instead, Sedim, the Salt Valley. This is now the Sea of Salt. Did everybody hear that? You can stop listening to your lies that Sodom and Gomorrah has been found. Riddle me this, son. Why is tar pits even mentioned? Well... Well, when you look into the tar pits, well, well, um, we know that the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fell into them and died. Um, another interesting thing that is pointed out that the only thing that can live inside of a tar pit is a petroleum fly. Oh my goodness, boy! You come right out of the gate screaming out of that one, didn't he, Jose? I never wanted him to say that yet. <laughs> that catch you by surprise, Jose? Uh, yeah. The only considering all the consternation going on right now about petroleum. And about he who is called the Lord of the Flies. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, the only organism on this planet that actually has its eggs in the tar pits is the petroleum fly. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows the only thing that can live in tar. Is a petroleum fly. Everybody knows it. And they always did. Now, one thing is for sure. The Bible source code just told everybody what God did to put a cap on this thing. And now you're probably realizing why it is that Lot's wife was turned to salt. You see, because when God said he overthrew those cities, don't you mean what is inferred here is that he put them underwater. It's common knowledge that the Dead Sea is the lowest point on this planet. Everybody knows it. Hence why the oil was seeping to the surface. And it blows me away how many people don't even realize uh, what 
tar is. Tar is petroleum with all the lighter elements having been evaporated off of it from the sun. Riddle me this. Do you not know? Have you not read that the Lord your God likes a pleasing aroma? Yes. Yeah, I've read that. <laughs> says a, a lot in the... Uh, why? In at least Leviticus. Why? Aaron, why do you even have nerves that can sense smell? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, don't you realize that what I'm saying is, is that a tar pit is literally oil coming straight up from the bottom, but the gasoline and the kerosene and all that stuff evaporates off of it, creating an aroma. Yeah. And you do realize that this leads you to other tar pits, like the one in Los Angeles. The City of Angels, that's right, the head of the Satanic Church. Did you hear that, Jose? Yep. Well, we've mentioned a few things that brought up Beelzebub. Aaron, why don't you for a minute explain to everybody about, well, why uh, Judges chapter 9 is so important. Tell us about the oak, the pillar, and the covenant. Okay. Uh, well, it starts in uh, Judges chapter 9. And actually, we should actually go a chapter before it because it explains us everything we need to know about Abimelech. And we go here at uh, chapter 8 of Judges at... Um, at uh, verse 31. And his concubine was in Shechem, and she bore him a son, and gave him the name Abimelech. Gideon, son of Gideon, son of Joash, died at a ripe old age, and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash, in Ophrah of the, of the Abysrites. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made ba Baal Bareth their god. Now, this, I was just reading from the Hebrew translation. And when I go over to the Greek, it says something a little different. It says, uh, on verse 33, it says, And it came to pass when Gideon died that the children of Israel turned and went whoring after the Baalim and made for themselves a covenant with Baal that he should be their god. Just so you know, this word Baal, that made a covenant with Baal that he should be their god, it actually said in Greek, Balbareth. So it kind of, so it, so they, so be aware that the, the English translation tried to mislead you. It said they made for themselves a covenant with Balbareth that he should be their god. And the only time in the Greek Bible that it actually says Balbareth from the Hebrew word is in this place. Other times when it talks about Balbareth, it actually call, just calls him Baal of Covenants. Balbareth means Baal or Lord of Covenants. And you can see here, because they made for themselves a covenant with Baal that he should be their god. And... Um, a very interesting thing about Belbereth is is that rab many rabbis came and said that Balzabub or Belzebub uh, or Belzebul, um, the god of Ekron, 
was the same thing, was the same thing as Baal Bereth. It was just because that the Jews were so addicted to his cult that they would carry an image of him in their pockets, producing it and kissing it from time to time. Baalzebub is called Balbareth because such Jews might be said to make a covenant to devotion to the idol, making unwi- being unwilling to depart from it for a single moment. Uh, that's a very interesting thing. So, right, so what you're having there by extrapolation is... Baal Beruth is whichever entity that you made a covenant with. It is a Baal. Yeah. So, we have that lock, stock, and barrel. L- let me ask you this, Aaron. Um, what do you think, or what did you find out? Why would... Who would have made him the prince? The New Testament loudly tells us that this particular one is the prince. So, do we have anything in the Bible source code that would tell us what it was that put him in power, or, well, who put him in power? Well, um, that's when we go to Judges chapter 9. And that is where Abimelech, the, who was the son of Gideon, um, he went to Shechem, and, to his mother's brethren, and he spoke to them all and basically just told them, um, why should you serve 70 people when you can just serve me? 70, see... Gideon had 70 sons. Uh, well, in the chapter before this, when it explained the birth of Abimelech, it tells us that he had 70 sons, and then he had Abimelech. So, obviously, he had at least 71 sons, um, because once they all made, once they all made a covenant, once they all said, you know, let's have him be our king, they, they gave 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Balbareth. And with that, Abimelech hired for himself vain and cowardly men. And they went after him. Well, And they went to his father's house and killed all... They killed all the his brethren, all 70, with one stone. But, but his youngest son... Uh, but his youngest brother, who is named uh, Jotham, he hid himself and escaped. After this, all the men of Shechem came to Beth Milo, assembled together, and they, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar, which is in Shechem. Um, where it says the oak of the pillar, um, in, the, in the Greek, it, says, it calls it the oak of sedition, which is in Shechem. Well, actually, the Greek calls Shechem two different names. It calls it Sychem, and it calls it Sigma. Two different words. And they are very related if you look at them, but it calls them two different names, and that's a very interesting thing. But um, so whenever it says sigma in the in the Greek translation, it is the same thing as sigma. All right. Well, let me tell you something else very interesting. Hope you realize in that text when it mentions the treachery of Zebul, it says the Zebul. It says El Zebul when he's speaking. And you realize alphanumerically that phrase is 70, Aaron. Well, um, see, see, um, it turns out that after uh, his youngest brother had escaped, he went off, he went to the top of the mountain, Gerzism, and he lifted his voice and called out, and he, and he told a parable, basically, 
um, again, against Shechem and against his brother, Abimelech. And um, he said this parable that meant that God would come and that he would make, since Shechem had made a, uh, this alliance or deal with Abimelech, um, then, then, uh, then God would send uh, something that would make them want to kill each other and want to fight. So, um, when we look into that, it comes later on. It says, Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dwelt treacherously with Abimelech, so that the sons, the the violence that was done to the seventy sons of Jerubal might come, and their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And so, wait a minute. I hope you realize what you just said. Literally. Ladies and gentlemen, what he just said was that they made a covenant with Zebul, and God honored it by doing what? He set an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And now you know how Belzebul got to be their prince, huh, Aaron? Yes. Because they had made a covenant, they had raised their hands and their hearts to this particular Baal, and God honored their covenant by sending him against them to slaughter them. Yes. So, now, wait a minute. I want to ask something here. At this point in time, Shechem's obviously pretty important. You said it gave it two separate etymologies. Yes. Okay, let me keep that in my back pocket, because I got a feeling I know where it's going. So what else did you want to share? Just just go right ahead, Aaron, because this is going somewhere. Well, uh, we learn later on that, well, after they were fighting and everything... Um, well, once they were set against each other, this all started out when the men of Shechem set men to ambush against him in the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who might pass by them along the road. And it was told to Abimelech. Now, Gaal, the son of Ebed... Alright, hold on. Hold on. What chapter is that from, buddy? Uh, chapter... Uh, Judges 9. Well, why don't we have... Uh, Jose, jump in here and read that real quick. All right, I can do that. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we read Genesis chapter 14, and Aaron's given a whole lot of references to Judges chapter 9, and I know better than to keep running my mouth about it without reading it. Because I can't do it justice. God's going to say things in there that's going to trigger memories in my mind. So if I just continue to talk about it without hearing it, I'm going to miss the mark. And as my son can very well bear testimony to you, I hit the bullseye every single time, and I don't flinch. There's something here in Judges chapter 9 that Aaron is remembering about, but everybody needs to be brought up to speed. We need to hear it. So uh, if you've got it, let everybody know what translation you're reading out of, Jose. All right, uh, Yep, Judges chapter 9, and let's go ahead and do the, the Geneva again. We'll read that one. So this is uh, over 50 verses, so just sit back and listen in, folks. Then Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them, and with all the family and house of his mother's father, saying, Say, I pray you, in the audience of all the men of Shechem, 
whether it's better for you that all the sons of Jerubal, which are seventy persons, reign over you, either that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. Then his mother's brethren spoke of him in the audience of all the men of Shechem, all these words, and their hearts were moved to follow Abimelech. For said they, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-berith, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light fellows, which followed him. And he went unto his father's house at Ophrah, and slew his brethren, the sons of Jeroboam, about seventy persons upon one stone. Yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together with all the house of Milo, and came and made Abimelech king in the plain, where the stone was erected in Shechem. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim, and lift up his voice and cried, and said unto them, Hearken unto me, you men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth to anoint a king over them, and said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness, wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to advance me about the trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, Come thou and be king over us. The fig tree answered them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit, and go to advance me above the trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, Come thou and be king over us. But the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, whereby I cheer God and man, and go to advance me above the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If you will indeed anoint me king over you, come and put your trust under my shadow. And if not, the fire shall come out of the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you do truly and incorruptly make to make Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and with his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands. For my father fought for you, and adventured his life, and delivered you out of the hands of Midian. And you are risen up against my father's house this day, and have slain his children, about seventy persons upon one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. If you then have dealt truly and purely with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice with you. But if not, let a fire come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem and the house of Milo. Also let a fire come forth from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and consume Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. So Abimelech reigned three years over Israel. But God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem broke their promise to Abimelech, that the cruelty toward the seventy sons of Jeroboam and their blood might come and be laid upon Abimelech their brother, which had slain them, and upon the men of Shechem, which had aided him to kill his brethren. So the men of Shechem set men in wait for him in the tops of the mountains, who robbed all that passed that way by them. And it was told Abimelech. Then Gaal the son of Ebed came with his brethren, and they went to Shechem. And the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. 
Therefore they went out into the field and gathered in their grapes and trod them and made merry and went into the house of their gods and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal the son of Ebed said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam and Zebul his officer? Serve rather the men of Hamor the father of Shechem. For why should we serve him? Now would God took this people were under mine hand. Then would I put away Abimelech. He said to Abimelech, Increase thine army and come out. And when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaul, the son of Ebed, his wrath was kindled. Therefore he sent messengers unto Abimelech privily, saying, Behold, Gaul, the son of Ebed, and his brethren be come to Shechem. And behold, they fortify the city against thee. Now therefore arise by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie in wait in the field. And rise early in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, and assault the city. And when he and the people that is with him shall come out against thee, do to him what thou canst. So Abimelech rose up, and all the people that were with him by night, and they lay in wait against Shechem in four bands. Then Gaul the son of Ebed went out and stood in the entering of the gate from the city. And Abimelech rose up and the folk that were with him from lying in wait. And when Gaul saw the people, he said to Zebul, Behold, there come people down from the tops of the mountains. And Zebul said unto him, The shadow of the mountains seem men unto thee. And Gaul spoke again and said, See, there come folk down by the middle of the land. And another band cometh by the way of the plain of Moaninim. Then said Zebul unto him, Where is now thy mouth? That said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Is not this the people that thou hast despised? Go out now, I pray thee, and fight with them. And Gaul went out before the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. But Abimelech pursued him, and he fled before him, and many were overthrown and wounded, even unto the entering of the gate. And Abimelech dwelt at Arumal, and Zebul thrust out Gaul and his brethren, that they should not dwell in Shechem. And on the morrow the people went out into the field, which was told Abimelech. And he took the people, and divided them into three bands, and laid wait in the fields, and looked, and behold, the people were come out of the city, and he rose up against them and smote them. And Abimelech and the bands that were with him rushed forward and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. And the two other bands ran upon all the people that were in the field and slew them. And when Abimelech had fought against the city all that day, he took the city and slew the people that was therein, and destroyed the city and sowed salt in it. And when all the men of the tower of Shechem heard it, they entered into a hold of the house of the god Berith. And it was told Abimelech, that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech gave him up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took axes with him, and cut down the bows of trees, and took them, and bare them on his shoulder, and said unto the folk that were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do like me. Then all the people also cut down every man his bow, and followed Abimelech, and put them to the hold and set the hold on fire with them. So all the men of the tower of Shechem died also, about a thousand men and women. 
Then went Abimelech to Tebez and besieged Tebez and took it. There was a strong tower within the city, and thither fled all the men and women and all the chief of the city and shut it to them, and went up to the top of the tower. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it, and went hard unto the door of the tower to set it on fire. But a certain woman cast a piece of millstone upon Abimelech's head, and he broke his brain pan. Then Abimelech called hastily his page that bare his harness, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew me. His page thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man unto his own place. Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father, in slaying his seventy brethren. And all the wickedness of the men of Shechem did God bring upon their heads. So upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubal. Aaron, let's just throw a little tidbit in here. Um, what did I tell you would be one of the major things you would need in order to kill a Nephilim once it had re reached maturity? Did you see what it said there? Here, let me read it for you. Um, then Abimelech went to the Bez, and he camped against the Bez and captured it. But there was a strong tower in the center of the city, and all the men and women, with all the leaders of the city, fled there, and shut themselves in. Um, Aaron, what did I say was one of the mandatory things you'd have to do in order to kill one of these things? You'd have to be, number one, high enough, uh, probably to, with a javelin or something, to take the head down. And um, they probably also would want a building to keep all their supplies and things, uh, their uh, food that they had gathered from their field, to protect it from these giants who would probably consume much. And you notice they come right out and tell you that's why the woman got involved, by the way. How on earth, Jose, could someone have survived having their brain pan broken? Did you? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. The, um, considering the height of that tower, yeah, it should have it killed them right away. Absolutely. But right here, ladies and gentlemen, in Judges chapter 9 verse 36 it says the Zebul it says El Zebul said to him you are seeing the shadow of the mountains as if they were men yes um, that, that's um, speaking about um, Baal, Baal Zebub um, in Hebrew um, he is called uh, you know in that part in the Bible where the people were calling him calling Jesus possessed by Baal uh, Belzebul. Um, it actually in Hebrew it said Baalzebub. Baalzebub and Belzebul um, seem to have some sort of likeness, and so um, thinking of Zebul being in his name and also the word fly Zebub, another. Um, yes, his name. This man's name Zebul was part of Belzebul. It that's his name is in there. Um, so this this would be the second name of this demon, or if he is um, Baal Bareth the same as well, then that would be the third. Um. Well, something here is catching my attention. Verse 28. Then Gaal, the son of Ibed, said to, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem? 
and that we should serve him. Is not the son of Jeroboam and Izebul not his lieutenant? Why does it loudly proclaim this? Let's let's try another one. Wait a minute. Verse 30 says something else. Then Zebul, the ruler of the city. Is everybody catching that, Aaron? What have I taught you since your birth is the first premise when dealing with the fallen. What is it that you will see? Um, usually whenever you, whenever you, I mean, I mean, sometimes they take the disguise of a, <laughs> a say like a fairy or basically just anything. But nowadays the, the, the aliens and the greys and Martians have been uh, the most common thing. And we know that's what the angels did at Sodom. They just struck them so they couldn't find the door, right? Yeah. And tell me, what did the Lord's servant John see whenever the angel came to give him Jesus' vision? What did he see? Oh, he seen everything, didn't he? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, they can make you see whatever they want. Now, I hate to tell you, that's exactly what just happened. Did you not catch that? Now... Aaron, was he the lieutenant or was he the ruler of this city? Good question, huh? He's called the um, Beelzebub. Uh, I mean, Beelzebub. Beelzebub in the New Testament calls him the ruler of demons. Well, actually, the ruler of the Sedim. Of the Sedim. There we go. Hit it out of the ballpark. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible doesn't say demons in the Hebrew Bible source code. The Hebrew loudly screams to you, it's not demons, or these particular demons that had been made a covenant with, they were the Sedim. So beyond any shadow of a doubt, you can put the kibosh on all your theories. The Sedim, we already read about, it's the giants, that those that came from the land of Nimrod assaulted. It was those. Like I said, they went after the special forces. And you can loudly see that's exactly what Zebul was doing here. So, is Zebul, would Zebul have been an angel or a demon? I say, Aaron, that it's screaming to you at the top of its lungs that at this point he's a Nephilim. Okay, yeah. Um, because, of course, um, they were saying that Jesus was possessed by him. An angel cannot possess someone. That's right. And now you know why he was referred to as the head of the army. He was the lieutenant. Now you know why he had been appointed to that position. Well, also, guys, let me, let me add here real quick there in Judges 9, verse 31, the messengers that were sent by Zebul, um, the Hebrew word is malakim. Malakim. But, but of course, that, that root word of that comes from angels, malak. That's right, the malakim, which... Aaron, did you have anything else you wanted to point out about this chapter before I ask you about the strange king of Salem? But by the, before I go there, why this strange prophecy, Jose? Did you hear that strange prophecy? Yes. You know, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I think I heard the king of Salem mentioned there. I'm not going to allude to it, though. I'm not. That, that's not what we're talking about. Um... But Aaron, did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, share about this chapter now that we've read it and refreshed it in our minds and all these strange things that pops up? I mean, Zebul even has the power to change your perception of what you see. Yes. Well, um, I would also like to point out that um, the things about Baal. See, um, 
when we went further in Judges 9, I remember Jose said, um, they went, uh, they, he came and destroyed the house of, uh, of Bareth. And, well, the Hebrew itself says Elbereth. Um, so, you see, Baalbereth and Elbereth would be a lot alike because that word El means God and Baal means Lord. But another thing to point out was Baal in the in their mythology, the Canaanite mythology, um, pretty much took over the uh, took over the place as the lead god, which El, a god named El, was. El was the lead god. Um, I, I, of course, he was he was obviously evil, so I wouldn't call him God. So, God himself, as God's name is also used as Elohim. But, see, Baal pretty much took him over, and he be, Baal became the lead guy here. So, so Baal Bareth is also not only called the Lord of Covenants, he is also called the God of Covenants. Right. I heard what you said. I understood. What you're saying is what I said before. There are many Baals, there are many fallen. But whichever one that you make a covenant with is your Baal-Bareth. In this case, like I just said, the Baal of this covenant was Zebul. And, um, see, if he was the god of covenants, well, then we can also think that he was Elysidim. See, in the Hebrew, whenever he's called the god, he, he is called the ruler of, um, he is called the ruler of demons, it says the his the hisadim. See, so, so it's got sadim in it, but before it has a hey, the letter hey. Um, well, that is, um, but a lot of times in the Bible, it instead of hey, it puts alamid there. Um, so there would be the lisadim, and these lisadim were only used in the Bible in reference to the demons that were worshipped. Like, say, for instance, um, Revelation 16, uh, give me a minute, gotta find it in my stuff. Yeah, I see here it, it is, here it is. Okay, cool, um, uh, Revelation 9.20, it says, um, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and of stone and of wood, which can either see, can neither see nor hear nor talk nor near nor walk and um it, when you look at all the words in the bible that say listening um it is only in reference to people who sacrificed their children to demons the people right. who would worship demons and that so thinking baal bareth or, or in this case uh, is baal Zabub was um, in his name Elbereth. He could be uh, a Lysidim, and he was a ruler of the Hisidim. And I know something about something else that's predicated with the Lamud. Aaron, what did I teach you about Azazel in the Hebrew? Does it ever say Azazel? It has Lamud before. Um, before and after the name. So, um, before, um, it basically says Lezazel. 
Anyway, just a tidbit. Everybody could see there. <laughs> Jose, what do you think about all this? Well, that's, I mean, what Aaron's bringing up is exactly what blew me away uh, when I started looking into the word. Uh, of course, first, you know, I looked directly for the for the, the Hesedim, what, what we see there in Genesis 14. But understanding the way Hebrew works and understanding that that's a prefix there, that hey, you, of course, have to look at the root word and any other uh, prefixes that might be attached to that word Sedim. And boy, the where it takes you in the New Testament is quite amazing. And uh, believe it or not, it solved a little uh, riddle that's been uh, brewing um, probably since since uh, we first started Tiny Tiny Chat way back when, Matthew. So I have that to thank really? uh, Eric for. Yeah, and we can uh, we can get into that after uh, after Aaron, you know, shares what he has. Um, but yeah, yeah, it answered a little riddle and uh, made made everything uh, real clear what we're talking about here and made real clear uh, Bill's a bull and uh, who he is. I'm pretty much done. Go ahead. Well, no, you're not. No, you're forgetting something very important. What is the relationship? Obviously, this has got a lot to do with Shechem, but I need to know why Salem's involved. Yes, uh, well, the only thing that Salem had to do with the whole Battle of Sedim, well, also called the War of the Nine Kings, uh, he, all he did was, I mean, Melchizedek, who Jesus is said to have um, descended from, um, he, see, he was the king of Salem. He wasn't even part of this big battle. He just came with the king of Sodom, and there he blessed them. In this other place, the, the king's dale, uh, this other valley. Um, and he... He, it says he was a priest. Notice that this was before, this was before Aaron. And another thing, um, Levites were supposed to be the only ones who were priests, and Melchizedek was clearly a priest. And can I add a little something, Matthew, before you, oh. before you continue? Oh, by well, all means. Well, just just Genesis fourteen is of course an isochronal event, and we see it replayed in the Bible. And I'm sure we're going to see it, um, you know, when, when things transpire before us. What you always see is you see, whether it be the Assyrians, whether it be the Babylonians, whoever is coming into the promised land to conquer it, they always overshoot it. They go to the land of Ham, conquer everything, go to the Mount, Mount Seir, conquer that, and work their way back to Jerusalem. It's, it's, just, it's right. just the order of operations that is taken. That um, is exactly correct. And I also know, Matthew, the importance of that temple mount. The importance uh, of what it means in relation to Mount Zion. And the reason why Moses was not allowed to cross into the promised land and step foot on that temple mount. And so, you know, things are just brewing in my head about exactly what those four kings were planning once they had conquered everything and and if, they, if their end destination wasn't uh, Jerusalem, Salem itself, with Melchizedek standing there. And let me point this out. In the list of giants, it says something very strange about something very important. Contrasting Mount Zion with another mount. Mount Zair. It says Mount Zair, doesn't it, Aaron? Yeah. Now, if you don't know any of these things and can't see any of these things, in the way God presented them to you... Jose, Genesis chapter 14 don't make no sense. Right. 
You have no context. You don't know why what is being said is being said. You have no idea the context of what's going on. You have no idea. And we have read, and I have, and have I have read later on in the Bible, Mount Seir is said to have been given to Esau. That's why. That was why. That was why Moses was not allowed to take it. That's right, and we know that's why this riddle is presented to us about Mount Edom. Ladies and gentlemen, look, all I would say is this. It's perfectly obvious from everything that Aaron just shared that Melchizedek was a pure king. Yeah. Um, before we go into Melchizedek, do you think we should look at the oak of uh, this oak? That's or, exactly... That's, ex- that's exactly where we're going. We need to know what on earth this has to do with the oak, the pillar, and the covenant. We, you, we're, that's exactly where we're going next. So I'm glad you said that. You must have been reading my mind, son. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is all tied together. And it's massively important. And I'm sure that Jose caught that again, that the soldiers had been... Divided up into how many ways did Judges 9 say? Portions of three. Portions of four. A fourth portion. Did you catch that? Yeah. Yeah, now now you bring it up. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. I was looking at Abimelech's portion, but the original portion was four. That's right. You should have seen that coming due to the four writers. Amen? Amen. All right, Aaron. uh, We need to talk about this. What? How... What what is this oak? What is this pillar? Who made a covenant there? What's going on, man? Bring us up to speed. Okay. Um, well, let's start by looking into uh, at Josh Joshua twenty four verse twenty six. So let's get that. Okay. So um, this is where Joshua is talking to the people, saying. Um, I will serve God, and now take away every strange gods that are with you, and have your heart right now with the Lord God of Israel. So this is where everyone made um, a, made a promise or a covenant, um, that is, and with God. And the covenant was this. Um, let's start at verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. And made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shem, Shechem. So this is our place. Uh, this is where Abimelech was, Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to the people, Behold, the stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be a witness against you, so that you will so that you do not deny your God. And then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. And so um as as we know, um what did um where did uh, they appoint Abimelech to be king after he slaughtered his brothers? Well, that's right. It said by the oak of the pillar, which was in Shechem. Yes. And um, so this is obviously talking about the same thing. And also another important thing is that um, 
is that in the Bible, um, jo Jacob, when he left, um, uh, uh, when he came out of his town, um, he told all his family to get rid of all their idols, and he buried them under an oak in Shechem. That's where he buried the idols. And also notice this thing that Joshua said uh, about um, about about the stone. He said it would be a witness. And as the Bible says, that oak, that the stones are like are witnesses. Am I right? Am I right? That's exactly right. I mean, as a matter of fact, in reference to this, does not the Lord Jesus Christ get mad at his disciples? He said, you better not, you better not cease the children. If they cease crying out, Hosanna, the stones will cry out. Yeah, and remember the stone that was this witness under the oak, also called the Oak of Sedition, notice, um, it says, um, he, when he made this, when he put down the stone, um, he said that, it will be a witness to you that you made this covenant with God. And later on, guess what happened? The people, um, um, the people ran away. They stopped worshiping God. And Gideon came in, remember, and he destroyed Baal, Baal, and his grove. Remember, he destroyed it, and that was why his father called him Jeroboam. Right. Well. When the angel visits Gideon, here, let me read it. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The oak has a lot of things to do here. And um, right next to this, they go and take their king to become king at this oak. And so you know, I mean, I mean... Not only that, they completely they they completely pointed out that they had def they had um, lied, and that they had uh, turned away from God, and that they wouldn't serve Him anymore, uh, that they had stopped serving Him, and so, um, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, that's one thing, you know, to be, you know, to just you know turn from what you said, break your promise, but they go up to this oak to just kind of like stick their tongue out or spit you know at god you know and that's when god that's when god brings this evil spirit against him because remember the 70 were killed before he went up to this tree and uh so so of course um abimelech got it thrown back in his face and he died and not only just did he die but a but a woman would have killed him if his armor bearer wasn't there. That's right. You know, something else that sticks out to me in Judges chapter 6, the next time the oak is mentioned, well, let me just ask you this, Aaron. What's the proper thing for a sacrifice? What What's the proper animal? Um, uh, well, a, a lamb, right? Or I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Let me read verse 19 in chapter 6. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat. Oh. And unleavened bread from an elaf flour, and put the meat in a basket, and the broth in a pot, and brought them out to him under the oak, and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, and lay them on this rock, and pour out the broth, 
and he did so. Did you catch that, Jose? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why did he bring him a goat <laughs> instead of a lamb? Of course, my question would be, why not an Awasi lamb? But anyway. Um, oh, notice, oh, notice the scapegoat. Exactly. <laughs> notice the scapegoat. That's right, Aaron. Notice the scapegoat. So, oh my goodness, this has went once around the ride, hasn't it? Well, Matthew, I, I thought that we weren't going to discuss Genesis 35 this time around, uh, waiting for my brother Tim's uh, to join us for that study. But, well, uh, Aaron just answered a, a whole lot of bit there that, that Tim's was studying there on that oak that's in Genesis 35. So I'm sure his ears are tingling, and I'm sure he's writing notes furiously. <laughs> well, I would hope so, but his little one is more important today than the rest of all of us. Uh, yeah. That's why that's why Thames isn't here today. Uh, his daughter is sick, um, so that's why he's not here. But now, as he's listening, he understands why uh, that 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 had to happen. So, Aaron, uh, boy, you've put the kibosh on this whole thing. I bet everybody realizes just how important Belzebo is. Why he's the prince of the Sedim? What? The Sedim are yada 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 yada. Why it was that Melchizedek showed up when he didn't have nothing to do with it, and I'm sure everybody's seen that that Abram whooped him all the way to the left side of Damascus. What everybody thought I wasn't going to mention that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, God just should have took his left finger and stuck it in my eye. I mean, that just stuck out like a sore thumb. Jose, did you catch that? Yes. <laughs> he didn't give us a he didn't give us a north, south, east, or west. He said left. He said left, didn't he? I mean, left can be anybody's left. That's right. It all depends on what direction you're facing, doesn't it, son? Yeah. If I'm facing north and you're facing south, left left is completely well in between. So anyway, was there anything else you wanted to share, Aaron? Are you pretty good? It was at the tip of my tongue right here. <laughs> what? Very was good. It? What was it? I gotta remember. Dang well, it. It slipped. Let me, let me just read a little bit, Matthew, from the Hebrew New Testament of where this, this uh, Sedim comes up in, uh, just to give folks a little clearer picture. Um, Aaron explaining about Beelzebul, that, that should be clear enough, but I, I'm going to read, read this, this one stanza in Matthew chapter 8, um, the last few verses here, and then I'll, I'll use the Hebrew word, um, when we get to it that way folks can see what's being said here and the devils besought him saying if thou cast us out suffer us to go into the herd of swine let me start that over and the Sedim besought him saying if thou cast us out suffer us to go into the herd of swine and he said unto them go so they went out and departed into the herd of swine and behold the whole herd of swine ran headlong into the sea, and died in the water. Then the herdsmen fled, and when they were come into the city, they told all things, and what was become of them that were possessed with Hasidim. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him to depart out of their coasts. Um, it just, I mean, um, while you're talking there, it came back to me. Um, 
about, you know, what I was thinking. Um, well, I remember you reading earlier from, um, from uh, Judges in the Geneva Bible, and, it, and though um, most of the Bibles I looked at says that um, the woman threw an upper millstone at Abimelech's head, you read she dropped a piece of a millstone at his head. So it just makes me think of, um, like, the idea of, uh, of David. David didn't use a big rock and throw it at, you know, the giant, did he? The sling, he only had this little stone inside his sling, and um, it caused huge damage, in, in, uh, and, and it sunk into his head. What if she had just taken a little, pe- uh, you know, maybe a handful of this uh, millstone and dropped it at his head? Well, and Aaron, what, what did David have to do to fully slay Goliath? After he wounded him with that rock, he had to he had to run him through, just like the uh, the armor bearer of Abimelech. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, re- reading there in Matthew chapter eight, it's just just to drive home what 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 Aaron's been saying, what what he's brought up. Uh, yeah. Make it clear that that when you see that word. Um, Devils or demons, demoniacs in the New Testament, if you look in the Hebrew, it's going to tie right into the Sedim, right into it. Yep. Bingo. And, of course, we have that. Uh, you know, you hit the bullseye there, didn't you, Jose? The armor bearer had to run him through just like David. It, it's it's amazing to me. Can I ask you a stupid question, Jose? Sure. <laughs> it said the Sedim ran down into the water. Into the sea. What sea? Ladies ladies and gentlemen, the Dead Sea was not always there. Aaron brought it to your full attention that God overthrew it. Matter of fact, uh, there is no body of water more salty than the Dead Sea. Actually, you don't swim on it. You just float. You know, a strange thing. I remember some time ago, um, uh, everybody being freaked out because animals started living under it. Yep. That's right, Aaron. And, of course, uh, a couple of years ago I brought up that this uh, famous photographer got a bunch of naked people to go there and have this photo shoot. Remember that, Jose? Yep. You're probably asking yourself, why didn't you share all this then, Matthew? (laughs) Good stuff. Jose, I'm glad you did that. I'm glad you put... Go ahead, Matt. I'm glad you put the period at the end of that sentence and showed everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, in the Delich... Bible source code New Testament, he don't say demons. He says Sedim, period. That's why when you do the switch over, you're sitting there, wait a minute, which word here is demon in Hebrew? I mean, I remember when Aaron looked out, he, he come out and asked me, well, Daddy, I can't find it. Which, which, which word they're using for demon in the New Testament? Yeah, I remember that. I mean, I, I remember for a whole lot of times, I, I always looked at the Greek to find, you know, demons in the Old Testament. And I always came up with the same things. Uh, what, what was that de- word? Daemon or daemonion? Um, uh-huh. uh-huh. But then it just hit me. What about the Hebrew New Testament? So I was like, you know, I, I know what we, they translate the word demon in the Old Testament in Hebrew. I, I wanted to see what the, what the New Testament in Hebrew called the demons. And it, was, it ended up the same. It was the same word, the sedim. That's right, and and I didn't realize what it was till I just pasted it in the in, in, here in the word, and it brought up it brought up this place, and I I just I'm like this is like calling you know us Americans, 
you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're like calling the demons from where their country was. Well, now you know why it is that uh, the Pharisees knew exactly who was harassing them. Because they had made a covenant. But ladies and gentlemen, I hope you understood what Aaron just said. He was trying to get the ones from the zeros. And it didn't occur to him, this is a binary code. I hope you get that through your spirit. Um, uh, did you want to add anything more? Because I had something just came up. No, go right ahead, son. Jump in. Um, there. um, Melchizedek was the king of Salem, right? Correct. Okay. Um, a few things to say about Melchizedek. Jesus was came from him, right? He was a priest by Melchizedek. That's what the Bible says, right? That's right, after the order of Melchizedek. And, well, they were calling him possessed by Beelzebub. They were calling him opposites, as the Bible says. um, Right. um, uh, uh, um, Could you, uh, how can you bring, you know, Belial with God? Right, accord. There's no accord between the two. Yeah. Um, Another thing um, that I found um, that connected... Salem that connected Salem to this whole this whole story, and and you know how the Battle of the Nine Kings didn't seem to have anything to do with Shechem, did it? Nope. Well, um, I found this that in the Hebrew in in in, in the uh, in the Bible it says that only in the Greek though it says that Salem is a city of Shechem. That's right, Aaron. It Sigma. says yeah. that's right. That's right. It says that Salem is a city of Shechem. So, ladies and gentlemen, like I said before, the king of Salem was the only pure one. He had made no covenant. He's the only one that kept the covenant with the Lord his God. He remained when the others rebelled. Good stuff, huh, Aaron? Yeah. (laughs) Good stuff. The Bible's literally told you everything you wanted to know. About the demons, about why Belzebul is their prince. It actually told you everything. You just couldn't see it because a veil of English was in front of your face, wasn't it? And the veil of that people said that Baalzebub, was, I mean, Belzebub was Satan. That was a confusing thing. It wasn't English. I mean, of course, um, um, G- they, they say that Jesus was trying to say he was the same thing as Satan. But, um, uh, you know, when he said, um, you can't, um, Satan doesn't have a house if he turns it against itself. Um, I see is just, he just equated it with the same evil. Mm -hmm. You know, evil one and the same. So, I mean, everyone will say that Satan's the ruler of demons. And uh, Satan is the adversary and the tempter. It doesn't mean, he's the prince of the power of the air. Not mm-hmm. of demons specifically. Right. Like I said, we've been told outright how it is that this particular prince is the prince over, and let's just say it, the Sedim, these particular unclean and or wicked spirits, ladies and gentlemen. They're not angels, they are the children of angels. That was propagated because they did not protect themselves, they came down and let the women rape them. That's where these wicked spirits came from. 
So the first incursion, they were taken, weren't they, Jose? Right. The angels overthrew them. They had no choice. It says they took whoever they wanted. Here, they inverted the process. They voluntarily allowed themselves to be raped. So a group of elite special forces could be used against the kings in the land of the midst of the rivers. And God knew that they could protect themselves. God knew that the angels could protect themselves. So That's right. Yeah, they, they got their butts kicked anyway. Yeah, and it got overthrown because God filled it full of the Dead Sea. Yep, and it also prevents us from finding much of any evidence. <laughs> All evidence. I mean, how would we be able to find the brimstone? Very good, because, Aaron, I don't know if you know this or not, but the most mineral-rich place on the planet is the Dead Sea. Yep. <laughs> and it makes you think about the aroma that must have been pleasing to these wicked and unclean spirits, because, well, like I said, pitch is nothing more than pure petroleum, but of course the lighter materiel, the lighter substances evaporate off. You and I, it normally gives us a headache whenever you go to, uh, you know, if you uh, work inside a, let's say, a diesel shop. Yep. You'll you'll smell so much diesel, you'll immediately get a headache. Well, it doesn't give these entities a headache. They like it. It's an aroma that's pleasing to them. And now you know why, by extrapolation, he's called the Lord of the Flies. Because the only thing that actually has their babies inside pitch, the only only living thing that can live inside the pitch is the petroleum fly. Yep, and, and, and notice how, you know, even, you know, when demons and angels are all under God, even if they're fallen, um, if, if God tells them to do something, they do it, and um, they're not called evil. No. But, however, he was called an evil spirit because God said, God, well, he clearly said, um, I'm going to let you put put that. I'm going to put them into your hand to do whatever whatever evil you wish. Shh. Listen. And so, wait a minute, Aaron. Listen very intently. Aaron, it, it's perfectly obvious, Aaron, that that God made him break the covenant. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, God forced this particular fallen to break his covenant he had made with the people. Well, not well. This demon, exactly. Uh, and 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 notice, you know how his evils are clearly out there because you know God won't. Uh, I mean, uh, see, he lied to Gaal and he lied to Abimelech. Remember, he told Abimelech that the men were going up against him, but they yep. they ended up just attacking and invading them for no reason. And Zebul told tried to lie to him first that the that there weren't men on the mountain he just thought it, he was just seeing shadows Gaal was smarter than that <laughs> pretty good stuff man. now are you good Aaron yep I think that's pretty much everything I, I did well then we've got to riddle us some uh, Jose Jose said that he made something else clear and he wanted to share with us this little right. tidbit so come on, let's 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 uh, well, ride, Jose. This this all ties back to to Brother Brian, and and we know his studies into 
tracing out history and figuring out what the truth is out of all the lies that, that they've been giving us. And one, this is one of the trails that he's been tracking. And, and you know, he brought it up in a discussion and we talked about it. And I just made a comment of how it had a funny little spelling there in the Hebrew, which didn't match what, what I saw in the English. And, of course, at that time, Matthew, I didn't really know how to riddle so I just kind of left it where it was, and I continued on my studies, and, and wouldn't you know it, um, now I get to it. Now now that, that little riddle there is, a, is solved for me, much thanks to Aaron. Yep. So, and you found the angels there, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, in all, they're all, all through this. So let me just read um, the last stanza of Genesis chapter 11. Then Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they departed together from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Right there, gentlemen, right there, that Chaldees, the Chaldeans. In the Hebrew, that says Kasadim. It says Kasadim. Yes. And when I first saw that, I just scratched my head. You know, it doesn't sound anything like Chaldees. It doesn't sound anything like Chaldean. There's not even any kind of etymology you can go back and forth with to figure out how, how they got to it. Why does it say Kasadim? And now I know why. And the now Chaldean, you knew. The Chaldeans chase after the Sidim. The that's Chaldean. right. That's and right. That's why. That's why. That's where those spirits are going to be. Go, are going to go to the land of the Chaldeans uh, once the Lord straightens everything out. That's right. That's the promise. All of them. It will become a haunt for them. Correct. That's where you're supposed to command them to go. Yes. And that you're, was. And that was that was why um, they begged Jesus not to send them out of the region, region but out to of the, the swine. Region. That's right, because they were home. <laughs> now it all makes sense, don't it, Jose? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> it was only the veil over your eyes of English that confused this. Right. And I hope you realize that anyone who proclaims themselves to be a shepherd that has told you otherwise is something else. I hope everybody realizes that. If you're a shepherd, you are completely, completely obligated to tell the sheep exactly what God says, not what the English can be manipulated into a fantasy. But of course, the Bible warns you about that, doesn't it, shepherds? And that was, and, and it's clearly why God didn't use English. To write the Bible. Exactly. Nor would he. Mm. But it's just like, you, Aaron, you were trying to get, you were using the Greek New Testament to find what you needed in the Hebrew Old. You can't use the zeros to find the ones. You can't use the ones to find zeros. It is a code in of itself that once you put both together, what does it do, Aaron? You find things. You find everything that you said. That's right. It's complete. It's a binary code that cannot be read one way or the other. It must be read both ways. And then you'll be able to get the information you need. Because 
in of itself, ladies and gentlemen, why do you think there's ones and zeros? The character that is used to symbolize a zero, well, there's half the things you can't use for zero. You got to use a one. Now, Jose, isn't this common knowledge? Yeah, that's uh, why it was so amazing when you see ancient cultures that actually use a zero, because most didn't, because they didn't, they didn't need it. They didn't need it. Right. So yeah. I hope, I, I hope we've discussed everything. I hope we've, I mean. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you realize that what my son and Jose and I have done here in the past uh, hour and 46 minutes has explained to you all your questions, all of them. And it was all right there for you to see. I have not spoken something new. It was always there. It was always there, right in front of your face. And it rattles your cage. Another rattling thing is that the the first part of the word um, Shechem in Greek is, well, it's Sychem in Greek. Um, well, one of the names of this place. Mm-hmm. Um, the first few words is in the place Sychar, which is in Samaria, where Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman. Yes, it I know. It says the place where... Jacob purchased land, and he gave to his son Joseph. His well was there. Yeah, I know, son. And the etymology will also take you to the dreaded Sicari. Oh, my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, Judas Iscariot. Let's just ask Jose. What does Iscariot mean? What does everybody run around and say that it means? I don't even know, Matthew, but I'm oh, sure they're way, they're way off point. <laughs> it's, it's quite entertaining. It really is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there's a reason why when you look up in the Bible dictionaries, you know, what's an Iscariot? What is Judas Iscariot? They really won't tell you anything. They'll give you three or four different flavors. They absolutely don't want you to know. But at any rate, perhaps that time is not yet beautiful. So, what we have done here today, the three of us, have we have lifted the veil of the Sedim from your eyes. Yep. Yep. Well, Aaron... Uh, why don't you say your goodbyes, and Jose, say your goodbyes, and we'll get this shindig over with and in its place. Yeah, it was really good talking to you guys, and, you know, talking about the Bible and stuff. It was fun. Amen to that. Most definitely fun. Uh, Matthew, Aaron, thank you for coming on. Thank you for enduring, despite the little uh, hiccups we were facing earlier. Um, we were able to record this and get this done and, and, and share this with uh, with everyone on the portico. I thank you guys. You're You're most welcome. welcome. You are most welcome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you can find me on uh, Prophetico.net. You can find me on SoundCloud. Look for Prophetico. You can find me on YouTube, the Prophetico. Uh, I also have the Bible source code, of which I've not had the time uh, to really address too much, but I do have the Biblical Mechanics page there, so you can start to begin to understand why God read it in a binary code because that's what he did um please take note uh any new listeners uh the hebrew bible source code is the masoretic text and the delich new testament lined up delich did not write his new testament that the lord gave him in modern hebrew this happened before the uh, hebrew language was established modernly 
uh, to be the state of Israel. That's why it, of course, has been um, uh, proofread. It has been edited uh, by two of the foremost uh, Hebrew scholars on the face of the planet. Uh, and the Greco Bible source code is, of course, the Bible that Jesus used, the Septuagint, coupled with the Adido Regia. Uh, the Adido Regia is what uh, was used to make the uh, Geneva Bible, of course. That's why uh, the king had to uh, rewrite it and make his own version, uh, because they knew it was based upon the truth. Uh, the reason why that has not been able to be corrupted by the church, and that's why, of course, uh, after it was written, uh, he converted from Catholicism to Christianity. It created a conversion event. Uh, just like uh, the Delish New Testament, you don't know any uh, Jews, uh, Hebrews, uh, that have converted outside of the use of his New Testament exclusively. Uh, you don't even know anybody. So, uh, the author, of course, of the Adido Regia, they change his name two or three times. You can't find it. Then they say it's the Textus Receptus. No, it's not. Uh, the Adido Regia is the Adido Regia. Um, and that's why the two secret manuscripts that he used, he never let the church get their hands on them or the government. Uh, they remain in secret. Uh, so, that's what we were talking about uh, throughout here. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.